Welcome to the C2C Podcast, the podcast powered by Bevy. In this show, I interview community builders from all spaces in the industry. Stay tuned for actionable strategies to learn and community stories to love, all in 15 minutes. I'm your host, Beth McIntyre. And now enjoy a repost of one of our most popular episodes. I'm excited to have our next guest, Brittany Caldwell, who is the head of community and events marketing at Webflow. She has over 13 years of experience building communities and has previously worked at companies like GitHub and Atlassian. On today's episode, we will cover her top strategies to kickstart a community with little to no budget. Take a listen. Brittany, can you describe what Webflow is and what you do in your role there? Yeah. um, So Webflow is a SaaS platform for designers and marketers to build websites, web apps, and prototypes without having to code. And our vision is to empower everyone to be able to create for the web without having to code. Uh, My role is director of community and my team is responsible for all of our events, community initiatives, and a lot of our customer marketing campaigns. So when you got to Webflow, you had a decent sized community, not a lot of budget. Walk me through the strategy you put together and how much growth you saw, you know, following executing on that. So I think because I started my career at Atlassian, where I was for eight years, that which at the time had no traditional um, sales team and centered all of our marketing around product marketing, that I kind of can't help but approach community growth as like a product marketer would approach user growth or product adoption. And I'm also married to a director of product marketing, so it's kind of a big influence in my life. But um, I start growing any community or starting at any company with like a go-to-market strategy. So that starts with like a deep audit of the product. And, you know, I consider like my product being the community and um, really focusing on like where we are, what platforms we're on, what initiatives we have in place, like what data we have and like what feedback we've received, trying to figure out like how people are learning about us and doing a lot of interviews and surveys at this point. And then building like community personas and putting them on a scale of most to least engaged and trying to find the commonalities of our most engaged members. Like where do they work? What do they like to do? And what are they willing to share with us? What can I find out about them without having to do a ton of manual work? And basically this is like a quest to figure out like what the health of the community is. And so, you know, understanding what metrics we can already track and what um, holes we have, like what metrics are important for us and what we currently don't have the ability to track and using like our competitors as a benchmark to set like the health of the community. So like figuring out what the trends are. And then once, you know, we've done this like whole go-to-market strategy, basically like you're coming up with your competitive advantage, like trying to find out what trends, like what's jumping out at you from all the facts that you've collected, like putting that towards a vision of what you want to see your community at the end of the year, at the end of five years and aligning that with like the biggest, you know, you're kind of like your SWAT for the community and aligning that with the company goals and target audiences and like the official product roadmap. This kind of gets me to figure out like what phase of growth we're in. And based on that, that helps me determine a budget in an easier way. So doing that with Webflow, um, we start, like when I started 11 months ago, we had 7,000 members in our meetup community and our total community had 29,000 members. And now 
in 11 months from then, we um, have 20,000 meetup members and over 62,000 members. Um, so it's pretty crazy growth. We went from our strategy, like I kind of looked at it like we we're in like the adoption phase. There's kind of like, I kind of mapped that to like growth phases to the way like you would map like a marketing funnel or, or loop, whatever people are calling it these days, um, where there's like awareness, adoption, engagement and evangelism and like awareness is kind of like building the foundations of the community we were kind of in that adoption phase where the community existed and there was um it was growing really organically but um we wanted to grow up more before putting like permanent structures in place that we weren't at the point where we really needed to scale yet and then sort of the next phases are like driving engagement and then once the community is really running on its own and well managed then turning more ownership of that over to the community but basically, like, our first year looked like doubling down on the programs that were providing the most value to us. And we really saw that people were the most engaged in our meetups. So we focused on equipping our leaders with resources they needed and giving them extra attention because we had a really small team and a small budget. So we wanted to make sure, like, our most engaged members were looked after and they knew that we had their back while we worked to fix some other issues. Um, and then we really needed to build up marketing channels. So because our community had grown so organically, which is like a great problem to have, it was really fragmented. We had people on meetup.com, we had people on Facebook, we had people on their forums, and we had no way to connect with everyone in one place. And we didn't have, and still don't have some of the, like the critical data that we need in order to um, succeed long-term. So, you know, building a website and instituting a monthly newsletter and monthly events with our leaders like allowed us to have one source of truth and to be able to onboard people more easily and gauge like what percentage of the community is actually engaged with us. Um, we didn't even have like everyone's email addresses one, 11 months ago. Um, and then the other few things were just like increasing content that was produced from the community and using that on those marketing channels that we built. So like we started a weekly visual podcast called Coffee Talk, um, and we started a lot of new events. We held our first ever conference, which was really beneficial in you know bringing the community together and really refocusing our perks. Um, like a lot of the times, we hear from like amazing companies like Salesforce, um, who has a really strong user community. And when we ask like how they got there, they're like, oh, we gave you know VIP front row tickets to Dreamforce. And a lot of companies can't do stuff like that. Um, and actually our community manager, Afshan Qureshi, who's like wonderful, she pointed out that like um, people aren't in it for the swag. And if they are, then they probably shouldn't be leading your community. Uh, you don't have to treat them like they're VIP, even though you know they're very special, but you really just need to treat them like they're on your team and that's what they want. Um, so refocusing some of the perks so that it wasn't focused on just like swag, but more of driving engagement, deeper engagement into the community. One, one thing that you said right at the beginning, which really resonated with me, and, and that was that you look at community as a product. And that's always how I described Startup Grind was we always looked at it as a product. And I'm also a product marketing background. So that this all like all the things you're saying like it all is like sort of speaks to me and and the way that we did what we're doing or way that we we built startup grind but i just wonder like that's not really the natural way that i think a lot of community professionals look at it 
They don't look at they they kind of look at it as an extension of something else. And I think we end up sort of cheapening the value of what we're building as community people because of that, because it's sort of like this sort of thing that sort of helps something else. But the way you talk about it, it almost feels like its own sort of living, breathing organism, its own product inside the organization. And if you kill this product, uh, it could have all these repercussions on other products that that are sort of the, the lifeblood of the company. Do people internally perceive it as a product? Is that something that other people have been able to understand? Is that the best way for you to frame it for your organization? Like, love, love to hear more about that. So yeah, for me, it just makes sense because there's so many great things of like about the way product marketing people like go about, you know, driving growth, like a go-to market strategy in and of itself. Like you can Google it and find so many templates online, but it starts with like research and just showing and figuring out what you have and letting the answers kind of like pop up at you. Like once you have everything all in place, you can literally see what the trends are instead of having to sit there and rock your brain for like, what's the most creative program to come up with that, you know, no one's ever done before. And for me, I just, it's honestly, I can't think of any other way just because like I grew up as a marketing person in that environment. But I, the answer of like, do people, other people see it that way is no, I've had a really, I have a hard time like explaining that internally, like, oh, is this a separate roadmap? I'm like, no, this is literally just for our community. Like it's not going to affect the product mode. But once you've done it and you see like, you know, I kind of turn it into what I did at Webflow was kind of turn it into like a state of the union report. So like that was when I, um, started uh, presenting it to other teams and to the executive team. It was like, here's everything that we found on the community. Here's the health of it. Here's the opportunity. Here's like the metrics that we, um, here's what we need. Then it starts making sense because most marketing people do come from that upbringing or like that way of thinking. And when you put it into their terms, then it makes sense more that like community is part of um, what they're doing and something that's really important. I know you've done this 12-city product-focused world tour. Love to just hear about how you executed that, what that was, and the sort of benefits that that created. Yeah. Um, so it's actually coming up, but basically this started as, you know, another way, this kind of theme today is like how to kickstart communities without budget. And one way that I've done it many times has been by piggybacking off of product roadshows and, you know, trade shows around the world when other teams are traveling and already spending the money to go somewhere and doing events. Um, you know, this is one of the first times at Webflow where like I'm running events and community, but community hasn't always been on the events team where I've been on at other companies. So I'll kind of like piggyback off of that. And like, after you have an event in that area, then the next day you host a user group. And I usually spend like the entire time I'm traveling, getting the community to meet our product teams and come to like the roadshow event, but also find a new leader. And the truth is like, you need that FaceTime and you need that interpersonal bond in order to really have a community. And so it, it does wonders when you can show up for them. And it also shows you that like, as you're making programs that scale and that you can support 500 user groups around the world, you you remember like going on a roadshow once a year, however often, like when you go to Berlin or when you go to London, like there's something different about each community. Um, and you remember to like keep that into your planning as you scale. So the, the world tour that Webflow is doing this year kind of came about 
by me proposing like a community version of a roadshow for Webflow. And we just really truthfully didn't have the budget to make it work in 2020. And our plan, maybe not our plan B, but like our plan C was possibly to do it remotely and then the pandemic hit. And I feel like honestly so grateful that that was even something that we thought of before we even had to. Um, but yeah, so now it's going to be a virtual world tour. And right now, you know, the struggle is like, how do you make online events interactive? How do you foster those interpersonal relationships? I've always, always been someone who said that like, it's a marriage between online and offline. You can't run a community having it be all events and you, and, and not talking to them online in between. And, you know, it'll be a very different community if you have no events and it's all just forums or online So we're still trying to figure out like what the best way to make online events interactive is. But like with the world tour, we're actually doing 12 events across nine time zones over three weeks, like in a roadshow style. Um, So each event might have like the same talk from Webflow, but we'll have local customers showcased at each event and we're doing it in that time zone. So we're waking up at, you know, 5 a.m. or staying up till midnight for some areas. And I think that's kind of our way of showing our community that we're not just doing like one event that's convenient for some people, which is really easy to do online and say like, okay, we're going to record this and just like, here you go. Here's one thing. But um, we're making that effort and, and trying to still do what we used to do a little bit, but doing it online. So I'll let you know how that goes in August. <laughs> First time for everything. <laughs> you know, it sounds amazing how you're sort of adjusting to all of this stuff. I think I've talked to so many people, both local community organizers and then also people working at enterprises and big companies. And, you know, in April, it was like, hey, I'm an in-person person, so we'll, we'll just ride this out. And um, I think the impact that we've seen with virtual events has sort of changed a lot of people's and the impact that virtual events have had on us have changed a lot of people's opinions on that. But as a longtime community person, as very much an in-person events person that you are, how have you shifted your own thinking about the value that you bring to an organization or the community that you build? Or is it, are you still able to do the same things just in a slightly different way? Like how are you looking at all that with sort of who you are and the place that you're at inside of your company? It's, you know, the question of the year, and I wish I had a great answer for this, but the truth is, like, I'm taking it day by day. Um, The three, I would say, main things that I'm doing is, like, one, just spending more time listening to community leaders and just equipping them with what they need. So that is different from what it used to be. Um, You know, if you had a really rigid program, like, I remember by the time I left Atlassian, like, our program was so big, and we had pretty you know, rigid, um, structure for like, we're, we're offering like food and beverage for meetups a lot. Like Webflow was offering that too, because we're smaller now that looks really different in a pandemic. And some people now want their, you know, Wi-Fi paid for one month or want something different each month. And we are being as flexible and understanding as we can. And we're lucky to, you know, I'm at a smaller company, we have a small team, but we're able to kind of like do one-off cases and and figure out what is working for each um, community. You know, just like people need space to hold meetups, you know, we're paying for their Zoom accounts and we're paying, hopefully going to pay for Bevy soon and get like any base Miro, basically like anything that they need um, in order to make their events work for them. 
We're also keeping a close eye on like new habits that are being adopted by people. So for me, like through social distancing is like, you know, I, the reality is we're not going to go back to the old version of what we considered normal. Um, I have no idea what our new normal really is going to look like, but they say it takes 21 days to like build new habits. And I think there's going to be a lot of new habits that people are building throughout this time. And so basically just trying to, you know, figure out what those new habits in your community are and being really open-minded about them and not thinking in absolutes and trying to like anticipate that some of those are going to be part of your future. Um, and then keeping in contact with like vendors, you know, also just to make sure like they're doing okay. Cause that industry was hit really, really hard. A lot of our vendors are suffering. How can we best support each other? And also they talk to companies all day long. So like, you know, if you're close to some of them, they might help you figure out what other companies are doing to plan long-term. But like the honest to God truth is like, I have no idea. And I don't know if anybody really has an idea. Cause like we have no code comp usually in November and we know now we're not going to do that. But I've got a bunch of dates on hold for 2021 and, you know, I'm not sure which one to pick, you know, it's like (laughs) every day it's like, which one should, you know, so we'll see. All right. As we close up, I'd love to hear about a community that you love and, and tell us why you love it. I think my favorite like corporate community has to be Ted. When I started as a community manager, like this was probably, this was right before Meetup was even a thing. So I guess that makes me old, but I just always have tried to emulate them. They, to me, strike like the perfect balance of having a company that obviously cannot run without community content and community organizers, but they didn't feel like they had to employ like an open source strategy to community building where then, which isn't necessarily bad, but a community then kind of gains so much power that like sometimes, you know, your polished brand, it it looks different from that. And maybe the quality suffers in certain things, but they've done such a good job of keeping people like front and center. People are still on their website. They're not using like, you know, the vanity metrics, but they have super high quality standard for content and are still, you know, the community company, I would say. So Thank you so much for listening. If you liked the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about how to create your own event community, go to pod.bevyhq.com. That's pod.bevyhq.com. 